Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Take the chair, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk about the entirety of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, as Season 4, Matt, is in production in Toronto, despite the insistence of people, I use the term loosely, uh, because some are bots, on Twitter, who are telling creatives and cast members they have lost their jobs. It is, it is beyond bonkers. Like, and I think that we, we approach this issue, uh, which probably the last time we fully discussed it was ahead of the season starting, but this issue of um, online rumor and evidence that disputes what you say, then you say, well, the evidence is fake. Like we, It's obviously a, Pete, a slightly, and I say that with some sarcasm, slightly different world right now with the impact of what that can do in, let's say, a real world arena, not a, you know, you make my show, which is entertaining and uplifting, but is ultimately entertainment kind of arena. But, you know, for, for the people that you're talking about, you know, here's the picture outside Pinewood, Toronto that says Star Trek Discovery Season 4 cast and crew this way. No, no, no. That's a Photoshop. Okay, here's three different pictures from three different angles. Hey, anybody can Photoshop three different angles. Hey, here's a video of me walking by on a public street uh, and, sh- you know, in-, in HD, 4K, whatever. Well, uh, you could have done that with... And it's like, well, here's me with a newspaper showing today's day. Like, it's just, it's insane how there's these people. Uh, Pete, I used to think, six months ago, I was like, I get it. They're YouTube grifters. They're doing their thing to, you know, to, to get the clicks. Everybody likes the clicks, Pete, on YouTube. If you if you get the clicks just right, you monetize it, and you can go get yourself, I don't know. If, a new... if you beg hard enough. Yeah, if you beg, yeah, whatever it might be. But, I love when I see here. Here's a new video, and then they respond to their tweet of a new new video to YouTube with "Please monetize, please, sir." It's just it's it's insane. The, the the show was canceled after season one and season two and season three, according to these people. Like it's you know shades of there, there's a Parks and Rec episode where it's the. Uh, you know, it, it it's the local kind of pleasant cult that is wants the permit to count down to the end of the world uh, tonight at dawn. You know, it's going to be when the sun rises tomorrow, it shall be the end of the world. And when the sun does rise, they're like, well, can we have a permit for next Saturday, too? You know, that's where we're at with some of these people, especially Pete, the ones that are just on Twitter. Like, that's what I don't get. If you're caught up in some sort of, you know, this is how you're getting clicks kind of thing on YouTube. And that's how you're making money to maybe get by or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's dishonorable, but at least I can understand it. If you're just making your beans, you know, the, the hashtag O Oliver and stuff like that. If you're just making your way in the world, telling, as you said, Pete, telling people that they've been fired from the job that they're sitting at. Presu- theoretically, at that moment, they're right now at craft services getting a ham sandwich before they hop back to, you know, the the, the sick bay set to go. I think we can heal him, Captain. Like, it's just bananas. I mean, the audacity of that. I mean, it's it's not surprising where we are in the world right now. 
of people sharing conspiracy theories, okay? But that you would attempt to peddle or push the conspiracy that someone has lost a job, that this production that keeps hundreds of people employed and that is doing so in a way that requires more care than ever at the height of a pandemic, that you're telling them that the thing that is make-believe that we watch uh, and enjoy on our screens is actually make-believe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just adding, it's stranger than fiction, and the fiction that we watched this season, you know, certainly all of it quite compelling, but, you know, weird stuff with hologram this and, uh, you know, dilithium that and whatnot, and somehow Star Trek real life, at least on the fringes, is crazier than, you know, Sukal hanging out there in his strange fringe existence. It's just, it's bananas. And I don't know, Pete, it's clearly not going away because something tells me those are the people who are going to say uh, season four has been confirmed as, can you finish the sentence, Pete? Season four will be the... <laughs> the last until the fifth season of Star Trek Discovery. There you go. It's it's all It's all in qualifications. But unqualified, Matt, is the third season of Star Trek Discovery being... A joy to watch, the furthest yet set in the Star Trek timeline. Uh, all sorts of new tech. Uh, I, I jump to immediately just the my favorite episode of the the season, just in ter- in totality. Um, the episode that takes place uh, at uh, Navarre, the now. Uh, Vulcan and uh, Romulan Homeworld Unification 3, that episode 307. But everywhere from the end shot of the season of Burnham taking control as captain, which strangely there are people fixated on the hair of um, Sinequa Martin-Green, which again, you know, why you watch this show, if that's the thing. Can you think, Matt, of... Uh, captains who have had their hair criticized. Remember all that, you know, remember back in the sixties when everybody was on Kirk's hair and then everybody was on uh, Picard not having hair. And then everybody was all over Scott Bakula's hair. No, strangely it's Sonequa Martin green's hair, um, Cisco's hair, and then no hair. And then maybe Janeway's hair. And what might those two, three captains have in common? And then again, you know where people are coming from in terms of their criticism. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been another revelation amongst uh, the the Star Trek social media community and its fringes, and perhaps that also echoing uh, (laughs) the online community and its fringes in general as well, just... When you see somebody complaining about those things, Pete, it comes back to the best line of this season, the most timely line of this season, Osira being uh, both more than she appears to be and exactly what she appears to be. When you see somebody complaining about, you know, not since Janeway's hair has there been such terrible hair, that, you know, concerning Michael Burnham, you know, you know that they're not having a discussion about, uh, about 
the tresses upon one's head. You know it's coming with some sort of sexism, racism, etc. Even if that's not what they're conscious of, and probably at a certain level, not for nothing, it's 2021. I don't know that they're... And maybe I'm just ignorant, Pete. I would suspect that most most racist people at this point probably know that they are racist. Um, uh, it, it just boggles the mind, but... I don't know, Pete. Shall we? Is there anything else negative you want to focus on? Any other? I mean, no, I mean, no. I just, you know, the the highlight of the season, I think, that in people's mind was turned into some sort of negative. Like, I'm going to complain about this, or you know, oh, I don't like the cut of the uniforms. Like, again, what are you watching this for? That a that a, a black character has gone through the arc she has over the course of three seasons. Okay. With the cast around her that she has, that is, I mean, the word perhaps doesn't even apply anymore. That is the most representative cast of our world that Star Trek has ever had. Okay. And yet somehow people who have Gene Roddenberry's vision of a future in which war and poverty and disease and all these societal ills have been taken away yet don't seem to understand that this is perhaps the truest, greatest reflection of what Roddenberry saw. So Pete, you mentioned the uniforms. Let's let's put on our our, our geek hats, our geek visors, perhaps, uh, and, and dig a little bit into those. Um, I'll say end of season uniforms. It's end of season for our crew. We've seen that style uniform on the uh, the 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 modern uh, Starfleet since the beginning of the season. Um, first of all, let, Pete, let, let's let's talk about the great great uh discussion that's happened in the last week so production stills showed that tilly was wearing red in the episode that we watched it was apparently color corrected or you know by way of the computer corrected to be blue the assumption being that when they finished episode 313 um she was command path perhaps first officer the assumption being why did that change? Perhaps between season three being shot and season four being conceived, shot, etc. cetera. Uh, perhaps now, she, uh, in terms of a production sense, perhaps she now is no longer number one or something like that. Uh, your thoughts there, the, the, the switch from the switch from red to blue. I mean, I don't think it's a major, I don't think it's a major uh, story foul one way or the other i mean it's kind of akin to but what can they do with saru they can make saru show up in eighteen thousand different ways just not as captain of the ship i feel sometimes that there is this myopathy that goes on that we need to look at this tiny little thing when it's a large story impacting a number of characters does it matter at the end of the day what color the character is wearing when the story will span from the end of this third season into a fourth season where 
shocker, there will be more character development. Perhaps the room convened, the writer's room I'm speaking about, where they said, oh, you know, yes, we we put Mary in a, she had red on her tunic, but we need to change that because in the beginning of season four, she is going to be this. Uh, okay, so you go back, you, you color correct it, it, it doesn't destroy anybody's childhood or anybody's memories of the character or anything like that. It it's, it's a choice <laughs> and you can, with the uh, ability to change these things through digital effects, uh, change your mind. That's okay. Um, you know, so like, I, I just, I, I can't understand why people cannot enjoy things. So, uh, Pete, we're coming from the fiery open of, you know, uh, obviously criticism, but having a little, having a little, a uh, little bit of fun with the nutballs out there that are, you know, telling Wilson Cruz that the work he just did today does not count because the show has been canceled. You know, blah blah blah. I don't um, know how they put up with it. I really don't. And and God bless them that, you know, Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp and you know, right on down the line. And obviously they're, they're the forefront and they, they give as, as good. And I think they even hold back, um, which, which is a tough job given some of the things we, we see done at them. And you consider this too, you know, not only are they making the show now, they made the show we enjoyed this season and, you know, very much through throughout its run to this point. Um, they also just helped to, in, in small part, but swing uh, a couple elections. Um, <laughs> yes, let's definitely circle back to that in due course. Uh, sticking with the uniforms for a moment, um, we had our fun with the crazy fan, non-fan fans. I saw from some more sincere although i will respectfully argue maybe not fully informed um quarters that the again i'll call them the new uniforms i'm sure you understand pete as do our listeners I'm, you know it's the the new style uniforms that now our discovery crew have adopted uh some felt and i pete i believe these were genuine concerns uh some felt that there was maybe a nazi-esque aspect to them now look i'm i know u.s history well enough i know world war ii history well enough i have to admit for me to have a better understanding of nazi uniforms i've wandered onto the the wikipedia for it all i can conclude scanning through this article and going through my own i dare say above average knowledge of u.s history some of the uh nazi era uniforms the ss uniforms were gray um, to my mind that, you know, a gray uniform does not make a Nazi uniform, even though some Nazi uniforms were gray. Um, you then throw in the splash of color to it. To me, that's now one step removed from, uh, frankly, from uh, any kind of Nazi, uh, I won't say origin, but Nazi echo. Add to it, Pete, and I say this with all due respect to the actors, all love of all the different versions of humanity. Let me look back to Next Generation for a second. Next Generation started out with, the, as, as is well known, the latex uniforms that were terrible for 
people just in terms of hygiene, in terms of, you know, Patrick Stewart's, what, his chiropractor or something said, if you wear this for another year, you're going to have permanent back damage, so on and so forth. Say it, Matt. What what else? What else did it give us? Starting with that pilot. Uh, zippers? The skorts, man. Oh, the skorts. Well, yeah, there was that. But here's my point. The latex. You're just going to gloss over the fact. <laughs> listen, Pete, listen. Uh, some 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 of the dudes in the 24th century want to wear a skort. I could care less. Uh, I mean, listen, viewed from that, it's just a horrible design. True. But, but anyhow, the show moved from latex, which, among other things, was also the, the feeling of the actors was it was not kind to the body and not kind to wow i just worked five 13 hour days this weekend i want to have you know i want to have three beers and a couple of hot dogs and then you come in on monday and that latex uniform is not helping you um so what did they do they shifted to wool that was a little bit more forgiving then you think of the next generation movie era was even more forgiving as the cast got a bit older and 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 whatnot is it possible, Pete, that maybe these new uniforms, and again, I'm not trying to say how you should look or what your weight should be or anything like that. Is it possible that as this cast moves into the fourth season, uh, yes, Wilson Cruz and Doug Jones have put on uh, put on more muscle than I've ever had, uh, but is it possible that maybe it's like, hey, we're going to give you slightly more comfy uniforms where the where the top and the bottom don't necessarily meet, where the top goes over the bottom, and you just got a little... Get a little extra room to be comfortable as you enter the middle of the production of this show, not the very beginning where, you know, you got to look just right as we pluck you off of no job onto Star Trek, one of the most expensive shows of all time. Like, is that possible, too, that they gave them a comfier version of their uniform? Understanding, too, that who was wearing the 32nd century uniforms for the majority of the season? Um, some guests and some extras. Okay. And then you put everybody big transition end of the season into the 32nd season, 32nd season. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there eventually. 32nd century uniforms. They've arrived. It's official. They ain't going anywhere. Okay. Um, they can change that up. For next season, Gersha Phillips, you know, Matt had gifted me for uh, Christmas the Star Trek, the motion picture coffee table book that, that came out uh, in the fall and uh, really wonderful looking through there. Uh, Ralph McQuarrie's art uh, reimagined enterprise that looks just like Discovery. Huh. I wonder where they went and got that design. OK, because, you know, we're not dipping back into Roddenberry's Star Trek at all for this current Star Trek. And then uh, Klingon designs. Remember, the Klingon designs for the motion picture changed up. Oh, my God. Why you change my Klingon designs uh, from the original series to the movie? Um, and there is a fair approximation of the Discovery Klingon outfit, again, uh, drawn up in the 70s, used on screen, nothing gets wasted, uh, fairly classic design, though never seen before. Okay, I fully believe that Gersha Phillips will make these work for all the time use. The, the one thing that didn't work that I think looked a little strange the way they shot. And again, the inability to do some pickups because of a worldwide disease. Um, 
the uh, bottoms of the uniforms, apparently they're uneven in a way to approximate the Starfleet Delta, like a design, like the shirt tails. And when um, Burnham sits in the chair, it kind of float over a little bit. Okay, like fix that. And it's not a big deal. Can we focus more on the fact that there is a black woman who is the captain of a ship for the first time? And that's the way that the season ends. Like you talk about a slingshot forward. It's huge. Yeah, I think you're right to remind all of us that, yes, Star Trek gives you the opportunity to dive into all this detailed minutiae and, you know, I saw something online. I don't even know if it was like a Star Trek BuzzFeed quiz, but it was just like, do you know what this thing is? And I was immediately like, the Exocomp from, or maybe this was back during <laughs> um, back during uh, Lower Decks. Whatever it was, it was like, some of those things, some of those just smallest of details are forever burned into your brain because Star Trek is this generational thing and it takes you back instantly, you know, Ratatouille style. But yeah, th- don't miss the farts for the trees. And if this is the first time, if that final shot was the first time that the regulars were wearing their um, their tailor fit outfits, and it's and because of a normal production, let alone, you know, I still contend that they probably just there must have been some sort of uncool bean counter who's not like the the creative person that like you know hears the muses and goes we're just gonna do this because it's creative. There probably was some some bean counter producer that was like everybody this thing was in china then it was in you know uh italy and then it was in spain it's coming here what can we do to speed things up and they're probably like oh you're so uncool man you know just believe in without no guys we need to change the production schedule so i have no doubt that maybe you save this scene towards the end because you don't need to be trying new uniforms on you don't have somebody come in on a Saturday when they're in the middle of shooting the finale. But when you need to shoot this scene, you prep for it. And if when you finally shoot it, you go, oh, it flows a little funny this way. It flows, you know, here's how it can be tweaked. So be it. I think that there's evidence, as we discussed in the the 313 podcast, there's evidence a little bit here and there in the finale that if they had more time, more more time and less global crisis, um, maybe some mild tweaks would have been made. But you get the gimme in this, Pete. I'll say it. Maybe if I'm the millionth person to say it, I'll win the prize. Unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the gimme for that. And you get the sizzle of something brand new. And I'll add to it, Pete. I like that there's this weird, probably unintentional thing in Star Trek that after you do the colorful uniforms for a while, you go to the gray ones. Because that's what the Next Generation era uniforms did. Right. I've seen criticism as well. Oh, they ripped off the Space Force uh, uniform designs. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Gersha Phillips actually came to the future when these sketches were uh, made available, and she went back to uh, the end of last year when she would have been working on them and incorporated that. Like, just stop with the silliness. Um, but season three of Star Trek Discovery, for me, Matt, of the three seasons, the one that found itself the least reliant on any of the Star Trek that came before it. You know, you think back to, to season one. Yes, we're, we're occurring before the original series. But, uh, oh, Burnham is uh, Spock's 
half-sister. And here is Sarek. And end of the season, here's the Enterprise. Carry over to season two with Spock as a recurring cast member and the addition of Pike and number one. And not that that wasn't great, but so predicated on things that came before. This season, Star Trek Discovery is Star Trek Discovery. And yes, you know, much like a, a Lost, all those things happened and they matter, but they got to be themselves. And I think that was also super important in terms of the narrative. Yeah, and uh, as you're saying, all of the all of the the great connections that we had for the first two seasons, the re- the great connections to Star Trek as it's been, uh, in terms of you know the the unseen Klingon war that Pete, I know on Memory Alpha, if you dig, you can find where the, the you know what the classic Trek reference is to it. I know I've also gone back to my star trek chronology book and it was such a minor reference that it doesn't even make it into the chronology book so again point being like you're gonna find stuff that's barely there and build an you know super exciting you know i mean not for not for nothing for narrative purposes nothing beats a war you know interstellar war and whatnot against the biggest baddies that there's been you know that that have been taken off the board as baddies in in more recent times but to go back to the klingons you know you get the klingon war you never knew that you'd never had kind of thing uh then the enterprise at the end then all the enterprise stuff and the spock stuff and spock connections to now reboot the show re-reboot the show and to say we're really we're taking these characters that you're familiar with and we're we're reinventing the star trek universe no pun intended it's it's it was a freeing season it was one that was maybe kind of like wobbling out there a little bit into the unknown which you know Classic Trek used to be, then you watched every episode 12 times and and whatnot, but you look back and go, wow, originally there was only 12 or 13 of these starships, and they're really, really far away from anything, and, you know, the five-year mission means they're not going to be back to Earth for all the, all those five years, and some of that, some of that um, frontier nature faded away in next generation. So what do they do for deep space nine? They made it a new frontier. Then ended up being the biggest crossroads of all time. And then then for Voyager, a new, new, new frontier and all that. And here they found that again, which is this sense of it's a really big galaxy. All the players are not really well known. What we had is only starting to be built back. And it's just a really exciting jumping off point. And you think too, of where they left us at the end of the season. So, Discovery is going to go to both Federation and non-Federation worlds, uh, bring them dilithium, get them back up and running. Uh, a former captain is his status on his home world, kind of like a big brother with uh, Sukal. And, you know, how will he integrate back in? I think obviously that's a, a story they're going to continue to pursue. Um but we're going to learn more about this universe that they've arrived in now that they've been fully integrated. And, um, you know, just the, the number of standout episodes throughout this season, when you, you think about the season premiere and transitioning from the jump to the future to a story with Burnham and Cleveland Booker at the very beginning of the season in that hope is you part one and starting to find out, you know, all right, 
uh, all the life survived. We, we were successful in our mission. Where's the ship? I don't know, but somehow she's got to survive on her own and begin to look at this, okay, uh, universe and, and how she's going to make her way there, uh, rendezvousing back at Earth with um, Discovery uh, in the third episode, People of Earth. And then, you know, reaching back for the, the trill and uh, starting um, Adira's story and then integrating Gray as well and the really well done way they went about it. Yeah, in retrospect, it's a remarkable construction of the season. Um, I don't know what came first, the writing or the opportunity to go to Iceland. I mean, it probably was a bit of a, you know, hey, we have a one-page idea, and then the money people say, oh, it works if you do Iceland and not, you know, Antarctica, or, you know, whatever it might be. But to kind of, to start those first two episodes off as a as a weird self-contained thing, but of course it's introducing you to uh, a strange new world, a strange new uh, galaxy. Um, and then, much like the first season, you bring in Discovery in episode three and whatnot. Um, it's... This is a this is a better constructed season, I would argue, than last season. Uh, where last season, as I said before, I kind of felt like the search for Spock half of the season kind of was a little. There wasn't a particular episode that you could have cut out, but overall, it was a little muddy. Then you get kind of the 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 standalone, um, you know, the standalone episode with Pike's. Pike's backstory, Pike's the continuation of, of the cage and all of that. Uh, and then the battle against control, which also felt just a, a smidge too long. You know, with this, you get the two episode intro and then you get a nice chunk there in, you know, maybe episodes three through eight. Uh, while I did not love the terra firma uh, two-parter, um, com- while I didn't love it completely, I'm also the one saying, you don't need to do 13 episodes that are completely serial. Can we do some sort of story way station? Can we do some sort of stop? You know, can we do some sort of whatever? You know, I think back to uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, that pro- probably the best standalone episode of the season, uh, pardon me, of the series. Um, so they do that with Terra Firma, and even though I didn't love it, fine. And then you come out of Terra Firma with, you know, boom, 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 we're going to hit you with three episodes that really set up the climax, the end of the season, the the... Uh, destruction of villains, the hope for tomorrow, the bounce to season four, etc. Yeah, I mean, they had work to do there in that that's a backdoor pilot for the Section 31 show. Still waiting to hear a little further detail. Obviously, again, the worldwide situation we're all in has real concerns in terms of how you get that up and off the ground doubtless Picard is going to be able to move forward when they had hoped uh, in early February, given the record number of cases they're having in Los Angeles and California in general. Um, So that stuff's planned and it'll come eventually, but you you deal with what you got to do. And obviously this was shot before COVID to set that up. So thank goodness, you know, though we lose Michelle Yeoh as a presence in this show for the three, three plus the two plus seasons, she'd been there as a recurring character. You know, it's the net gain of getting her uh, to lead a Star Trek show in which we've got 
Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Strange New World, and Section 31 on deck. Pete, sticking with Picard just for a moment, uh, and obviously, you know, safety first, but part of the attraction to the new stagecraft technology that was developed for season one of The Mandalorian that they then uh, expanded for season two, and now they are in the process of building stagecraft stages, uh, you know, three around the world. I think it's Toronto, London, and Sydney, or New York, London, Sydney, something like that. Uh, Can you imagine, hey, season two of Picard has started filming here's here's a video that's going to blow everybody's mind it's the first day of filming it's patrick stewart uh he's in the led cage of stagecraft and who's there to greet him you know masked up of course it's john favreau you know star wars star trek having a moment of unity as they as you know as they all film and you know so on and so forth it could be a really cool moment of like you know favreau stopped by the set because he helped make the led thing and there it is you know the the Star Wars guy, the Star Trek guy, you know, could be could be a Pete. I have some goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> it it could be a lot of fun, and knowing that that technology in in a far flung future, in which, I mean, let's be honest, the amount of technology that they got into this season, those combat tricorder. Uh, personal transporters and then the the phaser is a thing on your arm that you know we didn't see until the last two episodes that you know comes out and then you you, you bring it back in um, that they can incorporate now the setting technology with that and get to some you know, for, for want of a better phrase, but the importance of what it is to the franchise, strange new worlds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great future that Star Trek has. Uh, strange new worlds is set to start filming Pete next month. I mean, it's just astonishing. It, certainly in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see uh, the likes of Anson Mount and the other cast members, you know, showing up in their, uh, in their uh, rented apartments or whatever it is in the Toronto area in order to do their two weeks of, uh, of, of quarantine. Um, We're not going to see it for so long. I I think that's the one challenging thing, you know, if we can hope for, um, for discovery to come out before the end of this year, uh, I think that that's probably doable, particularly now that there's a, there's an at-home VFX pipeline. It, it, apparently, it still takes a little bit longer, but so be it. They started filming November 2nd. Pete, they're two and a half months into filming season four, uh, even with one can presume some sort of uh, holiday break uh, sort, of, sort of thing impacting the schedule. The fact that, what, they will have had four months ahead of, uh, ahead of Strange New Worlds is it this time next year that we get the final trailer for strange new worlds? You know, whatever it is, you know, our, our, our CBS uh, subscription is on pause after some effort. I might mention probably the next time we go to it, it'll be paramount plus, but you know, when star Trek returned, when live action star Trek returns, certainly there's every indication that we're going to be able to go on some sort of run discovery, strange new worlds, Picard section 31, at which point then it's just perpetual to keep on going with all those shows, hopefully all in continued production 
uh, you know, maybe not continuous, but with the month off in between or whatever. I mean, it's it's a glorious thing to think about. Knowing that there's that much on the horizon is definitely tantalizing. But again, I, I look back at what we had in this season of Star Trek Discovery and, you know, the amount that we got that we had never seen before and uh, just a different way of looking at this universe that for 55 years now uh, we've we thought we knew and you you throw it so far past when we've ever been and it, it's free to continue to evolve without being so trapped by things that happened before. Yet still there being, certainly that's the case for Discovery, still there being the case where, boy, oh boy, if you want to, you know, if you want to get into some Star Trek geeky, nitty gritty stuff of Star Trek's past, well, you now have that for Strange New Worlds, for Section 31, to a certain degree for Picard. I mean, for as much as season one of Picard was in, was, <laughs> right? It kind of kind of blows, blows my mind for a second. When we watched season one of Picard, that was the farthest in the future we had ever seen with a couple of, you know, like dribs and drabs uh, exceptions. You know, Archer on the Enterprise J and uh, the Calypso short. Like, episodic Star Trek had never been as far as season one of Picard. And since then, we've had... Lower Decks, which is, I think, later, certainly around that same time. Maybe Lower Decks a little bit earlier, but now we've had this entire season and all that. We have Star Treks from every era that can now be explored. The 60s era, the Next Generation era, and now the, the new Discovery era. And the way in which, too, the productions can work hand-in-hand, hand, uh, a la um, Unification 3. And I just remember being so tantalized. Remember, too, that our episode titles that had come out changed uh but that was one that stuck and being so tantalized by wait we had unification one and two way back in the next generation and now to do this and to have uh vulcan and uh, romulan together to integrate the kuat malat from picard which hadn't even come out when they were filming that episode, I think wisely done to be able to play both in the Star Trek sandbox and one that they've created for themselves. And my goodness, Pete, do, don't we need the Vulcans and the Romulans to reunify? Don't we need that now more than ever? I mean, it kind of was, you know, I mean, I mean, in the nineties, whatever the, the, the sixties outgrowth of, you know, the, the the Romulan reveal. Okay, that was an opportunity for the show to talk a little bit about racism and the one the one guy gets a dressing down from Kirk. You know, there's there's no racism on my bridge, Mister. Okay, great lesson learned, Captain Kirk. Then you kind of return to it a little bit, kind of sort of as a some in the Next Generation era, kind of sorta as a proxy for post cold you know the post Cold War world. Um, even though the Klingons had been the Russians, now it kind of was you know the Romulans as the Russians. Um, okay, fine. So be it. Pete, it feels a lot, lot closer to home now that we need Vulcans and Romulans to get on the same page for the things that matter and, and focus on those things and maybe not be, uh, not be quite so concerned about, uh, about other things, shall we say. So with season four in the offing, Matt, what do you want to see? I would like to see the continued 
building slash rebuilding of the Federation. Um, I'd like to see that as a political story going on. That could be something that's kind of in the background. Um, I think that for as much as it's like, oh, look, they're going to to deliver dilithium at the end of this season. It's Federation X. It's Fed X. Like, give me two episodes that are standalone you know hey we're going it's the first time that we're going to the star base that hasn't got dilithium in a long time and let's see that gelato get made like just have it be it doesn't need to be a full-on you know kind of classic trek style episode but uh i, I was just recently watching star trek beyond which for, for its merits may be the best of the three in that it's not reinventing the universe it's just one heck of a standalone star trek adventure let's make Let's make the delivery of the dilithium be about those basic Star Trek things before we get on to a more political thing or a mystery or the, the, the more overarching story. Let's have them go to the planet that's got weirdo customs and maybe we chuckle at the customs or maybe, you know, uh, I don't know who it would be. Maybe, maybe Adira accidentally steps on the flowers that you're not supposed to and there's a whole prime directive uh, concern. I mean, hopefully it's not as lousy as that. The, adventure of wesley with the napkin people but let's have a couple episodes of that before we get back to hq and go oh man we're having those those uh democrats and republicans i mean vulcans and romulans are having a tough time again we got to go there and help work it out and it's going to get solved by a speech that reminds us that we have more in common than we do apart and let's let's have a little of that let's have all of that there continuing to explore what has happened in the areas of the universe they've been unable to reach or have taken super long to get there. Uh, what are the Klingons up to? What do the Borg look like all these years later? Are there, are there Borg uh, Federation? You know, we've had the XBs with Picard. I think it'd be super uh, interesting to see, do we have other liberated cubes or liberated worlds? Could you maybe go back and, and tell a Borg origin story with the state that they're in now? I think that'd be really, really cool. And I love the ability with a Trill character in Adira that they could be a way into telling a, a story as the the lens through which the past is viewed well i i would argue i I think that star trek in general especially the next generation era played out the borg uh and then i would even factor in like oh man voyager needs a big bad i don't know how about the borg um i would love it if if part of season four is going to be yes answering those questions what are what are all the old the old favorites up to how about an archaeological expedition to the last borg cube that was discovered you know, whatever it is let's firmly say that the borg are behind us and pete maybe if you want to mix in a little modern flavor maybe there's um borg wannabes you know borg purists maybe do something like that uh borganon if you will but wow. I, I would i would be in, i mean first of all i legitimately think that that could be a that could be a cool Star Trek metaphor way to explore some modern things. Like this is a species that, that, that no longer fits the times. The Borg threat is officially gone. Uh, however, people are trying to 
you know, uh, hoist Borg flags, etc., if you will. Um, so, you know, uh, Alex, if you need any further ideas, call me. Uh, but in the interim, I, I would like, I'd like to see the Borg not be, you know, oh no, now it's a 10 mile by 10 mile cube because the, 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 when the Enterprise came across one, it was one mile by one mile. Now this is 10 times as big. So the threat is 10 times as uh, th threatening, you know, as for the Klingons, I mean, do you keep them the way they were? Have they evolved into something else? Uh, I, I think you could take the story either way. Um, I would love in season four as well, you know, continue to bring in uh, Kenneth Mitchell as Aurelio. I think that I think that everyone would be happy by that. And I don't mean to dwell um, on the on the overly morose. Fact of the matter is, you know, he's got less time ahead of him than yeah. than behind him. So let's enjoy this actor. Let's enjoy his performance. Let's have him live forever on on the screen. You know, all of that is is I think appropriate. Let's bring Mary Chifo in, maybe as a human. Get, cut her a break from four hours in the makeup chair to pat, pat, pat. Here's some makeup. Uh, great, and we're gonna we're gonna put your hair back in a ponytail, and now you're, you know, Jane Smith, real smart, fresh cut looking, uh, you know, Lieutenant Junior Grade or whatever it is. Um, but how about you, Pete? What are you hoping for for season four? But Pete, let's pivot to some feedback here. We have a very thoughtful email from JT Atkins. So here you go. Howdy, and Pete, this is his, just in case JT is concerned, this is the, this is the email he wants read that has a, uh, with data core edition, because uh, I guess he had more thoughts. So here we go. Howdy, fantastic friends. I have a couple of thoughts for your season three wrap-up show. I make no claim to a grand theory here, just a few random thoughts. Diehard Michael. It is true. Michael's performance in the penultimate episode is clearly an homage to everyone's favorite is it or is it not a Christmas movie, Die Hard. However, and more significantly, when Michael loses her shoes because of the baddie who's hanging onto her feet whilst nearly being sucked into space, Michael repeatedly kicks in her attempt, uh, attempt to get her to let go. All she needed for the full Kirk brings an end to crudge moment uh, from the search for Spock would have been, I have had enough of you. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> That's one tough admiral. I have to res uh, respectfully disagree with those who have said that that the admiral's uh, insistence that Osira stand trial was too harsh. It is just, given the level of her villainy, and I think that her immediate, ruthless response only reveals that, for her part at least, much or all the concessions were likely not genuine. Had the Federation agreed to the terms, it might have gone well for a while, but Osira clearly had no love for peace or harmony. Pete, I will pause JT's words to say, I think in the last three weeks, uh, Admiral Vance's stance on Osira, I think that that's gotten better, shall we say. It looks it yeah. looks better from here in the real world. Again, man, maybe they do have that ability to go to the future. Uh, introducing the data core. Well, of course we haven't seen the data core before, and it looks a lot like a room at Federation headquarters. It's part of the upgrade they received, <laughs> and the data core aesthetic was developed by the same engineering team that laid out HQ. Problem solved. I mean, yes. And the practicality, too, of they need to build these locations, except that with the... Um, the, the Star Wars, the Lucasfilm technology now with the volume and the LED stage, they won't anymore. So it, it's going to have that ability, even if you're going to use existing pieces for, you know, your your new 
locale going to going to be able to change that up. So it might be one of the last times they ever have this issue. By the way, while we're paused on JT's words, I'm trying to find the tweet. Uh, You know how occasionally you'll get a tweet favorited from like 18 months ago and you go, that's weird. Like, that's not a follower. Is that a bot? Like what happened? Um, I had that happen to a tweet from, I think, literally 18 months ago, um, which I can't find at the moment. But it was um, somebody had tweeted and then somebody had tagged us in response to the tweet, something like that. But in the Next Generation Technical Manual, and I've forgotten this, in the Next Generation Technical Manual, reference is made to um, 35% of the Enterprise D being open space uh, in order to facilitate future mission upgrades and things like that. Like from a writing perspective, it was clearly written to be like, now we can add a thing and nobody can tell us no. And that just sat there unused in the technical manual until we saw the expansive um, turbo lift stuff in the original discovery. And we all complained. Um, but point being, that's a 24th century idea that they're still using in the 32nd century, which is have some empty space to build stuff out. So while I'm still not 100% sold on the volume of that open space relative to the size of the current ship, even though apparently on Enterprise they showed a future ship that was bigger on the inside, you know, blah, blah, blah. Regardless, this is all part of the same mindset, which is every little last level of this ship has not been riveted into place and forever unchangeable. It's subject to the will of the writers. And as it should be, right? Like, yeah. let's not be so slavishly dedicated to a blueprint that somebody has that the world of the show has changed perhaps because of the programmable matter. It can be bigger inside than the outside because future physics and what we understood then and what we know now, like that, again, the essence of Star Trek. Back to JT's words here. These happy days are yours and mine happy days. Loved, loved the way they played the joy and happiness at the end of the final episode. Oded Fair's performance in particular really sold the wow, what a weight has been lifted from our shoulders vibe. Everything about the end of the episode was such a joyful sigh of relief, a tremendous conclusion during a difficult time here in the 21st century. Discovery as Dilithium Delivery Ship. I foresee no problems with Discovery's delivery mission. It gives them a nice reason to get out there, that away, for the beginning of Season 4. Their delivery load will soon be lifted. After all, as each system or fleet or whatever gets their dilithium, perhaps part of their thank you is to warp to the dilithium planet and go do a little delivering to others. It's like passing the flames at at a Christmas Eve candlelight service. Progress starts slowly, but speeds as the lights multiply. Oh, I love that. Saru and Spock both begin with S. I predict Saru's future board discovery could be bright and easy to explain. It's a bit like Spock and the Wrath of Khan. Perhaps Saru will tell Michael that captaining a starship was her first best destiny. They can write whatever solution they like as far as I'm concerned, and it keeps our beloved Saru in the fold. What a great show, what a great season. I am amazed at all the tremendous performances, the well-crafted stories, and this show's ability to constantly reinvent itself while also staying true to its core. Can't wait for more, but I have to, Dank Farrick. <laughs> Pete, that's from JT Atkins. That's at JTA's me on Twitter. I mean, he talks about the reinvention, but think about it. This fourth season is going to be the first time it can really 
continue to be what it is at the time when its third season ends. Um, and I, I don't think the fourth season is all about let's get dilithium everywhere. Uh, will they bake in a mystery like they have so well in the, the first three seasons? Or will it be, you know, a, a modified version? You know, they, they talk up that Strange New Worlds is going to be this, you know, mission of the week. Uh, you know, non-episodic, but obviously character stuff carries over, you know. Uh, number one gets a scar on her hand. It's, it's there in the next episode because you watch them in order. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the ability to all right go on this mission and then like the stuff with saru you know nobody says he can't be given the command of another vessel that we can't have a two ship mission story etc etc like that that can be a thing so i'm i'm really anxious like him man dank farrick let's let's get our star trek back let's get our mando back you know, more of these stories, more podcasting. Yeah, and as I had said uh, earlier, the for the space between season two and season, uh, pardon me, the space between season one and season two, and of course season one had that chapter break in the middle, um, but the, the break was about 11 months. Uh, if you want to factor, if you want to like subtract that break um, between uh, the break that season one had, so it's about a year, um, and then season two starts in January. Season three um, starts, uh, you know, about fifteen months later. Oh, pardon me, not from the start point. From the end point, starts about, um, yeah, about about that point. But I mean, bottom line being with with COVID being a factor and whatnot. If if one hopefully subtracts that from the future, uh, maybe we get new episodes for the end of this year. We'll certainly keep this feed apprised of any Discovery news, any general Star Trek news. Uh, and of course, Pete, the whole fleet of Star Trek podcasts that we have done and will continue to do uh, is supported by a new thing in the Federation in the 32nd century, a little bit of commerce and the people who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Yes, though we might be pushing forward to a future free of money and bills that's not one we live in right now, and that's why we're so, so thankful to the people who can help us cover our costs to bring you the podcast uh, at patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. You determine what the podcast uh, is worth and what you get behind that door there, the, the minimum contribution being just a dollar to get you in up to whatever you would prefer that it be so so helpful in terms of what we do can't contribute and again we certainly uh sympathize in the pandemic here you can go to apple podcasts you can leave us a review helps us just as much to get the word out so pete how can people be in touch with you to share their thoughts about all the star trek that is head for 2021 in terms of production and whenever it hits our screens you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,760 followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Well, as mentioned, Pete, the next time we will talk Star Trek, that star date is currently uh, unknown at this point. Uh, certainly as soon as there is uh, news of note across any of the series, we'll update this feed. Uh, as for our pop culture podcast feed, yesterday we had a WandaVision episode for episode one. Tomorrow we'll have a podcast for episode two of WandaVision. Got some Falcon and the Winter Soldier preview ahead of us. Uh, then we'll settle squarely into WandaVision, then Falcon and Winter Soldier, then Loki, and uh, keeping things on the Marvel side, as that's what the schedule looks like, versus the Star Trek Star Wars side for right now. But uh, certainly the Pop Culture Podcast, the place where it all goes. With that, Pete, I will say adios to you as we wrap up Season 3 here. Say adios to all our listeners and give you fi- the final word. Let's fly. Let's fly.